0: What you said essentially was that fast food puts the brain through trauma. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you meant by that? That's a pretty significant statement.
1: When we consume or when someone consumes fast food, it contains a lot of items that are essentially not welcome in our body. The cells go into a frenzy. They're not used to having so much salt and sugar and saturated fats. After a while, if our body is exposed to processed foods over and over and over again, the brain kind of gives up.
0: Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for giving the show a listen or a view or a download. Wherever it is in the world that you are, we appreciate the fact that you are here. There are more than 5 million Americans currently living with Alzheimer's. And for many of them, it was a disease that has been passed down through the generations like an unwanted heirloom. Prior to COVID-19, it was actually the sixth leading cause of death and one in three seniors now will die with Alzheimer's or some other form of dementia. Let's put that in perspective. Those numbers mean that Alzheimer's kills more people than breast and prostate cancer combined. And to date, there is no cure, but we are learning more and more about the steps that we can take to prevent this disease, to lower our risks so that even if it seems as though you are destined to suffer the same fate as your parents or grandparents, there is new hope that you can break the cycle. Today is all about taking that first step toward thinking about a healthier future, because we are going to be focusing on the brain. What can we do to keep it healthy? And how is the standard American diet and sedentary lifestyle turning our brains into ticking dementia time bombs? And most importantly, how much of that damage can be undone? To get the answers, I turn to two of the leading neurologists and Alzheimer's researchers in the world. They are a husband and wife power couple who are changing the game for prevention. Doctors Dean and Aisha Shurzai. Together, they have created a five-step plan, scientifically proven to reduce the chances that you will develop Alzheimer's. They call it the (laughs) NeuroPlan, and you better believe that the N stands for nutrition. So we're going to give our brain a boost today. We're going to get the tools that we need to create a healthy destiny. And you We'll learn just how hungry the brain is and the insane amount of calories that it burns every day and why then it is ultra important to feed it the kind of calories that keep it in tip top shape. So what foods have those calories? And what are the real brain boosters in the grocery store? You're about to find out. And you'll also learn how the keto diet and low carb diets impact the brain. Lots of science in there. So are you ready to give the old brain that kick in the pants it needs to get going in the healthiest direction possible? Let's do it right now. It's time to learn about the Alzheimer's solution. <laughs> talking about Alzheimer's and cognitive decline and preventing that here on the exam room podcast today by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I'm the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. I'm so excited to be joined by the authors of the brand new book, The 30 Day Alzheimer's Solution. They are a husband and wife powerhouse duo and they could talk for days about this very topic. With that, we welcome Team Shurzai, Doctors Dean and Aisha Shurzai to the exam room. Thank you both so very much for being here.
1: It's our pleasure, Chuck. Thank you so much for having us. We're such big fans of your work and, and what you're putting out into the world. So thank you so much.
2: From uh, We've known about you and the work that you've done and then this whole team PCRM. And it's more than just what you guys do as far as nutrition. It's for the planet. Absolutely. So you're warriors. We consider you a part of our family. And uh, we are incredibly um, hopeful that we have people like you in, in the family trying to change the world for the better. You you humble me, and
0: I really am, from the bottom of my heart, so thrilled that you're here today. I've been trying to uh, get you guys on the show for, for a while. We we spoke briefly at VegFest in Florida shortly before the pandemic began, and then that threw the whole world into, you know, uh, for a loop, basically. So here we are about a year later, and we're finally able to connect to talk about this just amazing book, which is available for pre-order now. But before we get into the nuts and the bolts of the book, you two have a really interesting story. I mean, a husband and a wife powerhouse duo in this field. So how did you two meet? How did we get here today?
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, I well, think we yeah. should go back many, yeah. many years.
2: About uh, 17, <laughs> 18 years, 18, 18 years, years now. 18 years, yes. <clears throat> we were both, um, uh, we've traveled a lot throughout our life of life. Uh, Aisha has traveled to so many countries. She speaks five languages. I've I've traveled to so many countries. I barely speak one. <laughs> you, you, that kind of gives you an idea of the talent where it lies. But um, but more importantly, uh, in one of our travels where I was actually working with the uh, uh, American forces and I was the uh, secretary of health and human services uh, uh, um, yeah, and the World Bank person in Afghanistan, while working there, Aisha was with Doctors Without Borders yes. and we met in the party. And our first conversation was about the fact that we both uh, were interested in Alzheimer's and, and brain health.
1: Right, in general, yeah. She had
2: two amazing grandparents that had succumbed to Alzheimer's, and I had two amazing grandparents that have uh, that passed away with Alzheimer's. And um, we that was the conversation. And we did a, a few months dating, and then we got married, and then we came back to the United States. And the journey started. Although we went the traditional path of – you know, the institutions and the academic degrees and all of that, we decided to travel and uh, traverse the path less traveled um, and and went to Loma Linda, which right. is, um, as most of your listeners know, uh, an amazing place for lifestyle medicine. Uh, it's the only blue zone, as Dan, our friend, uh, puts it in America. And it's actually the only validated blue zone in many ways, largest study in the country. <clears throat> and Aisha did a double boarding in preventive medicine and neurology. Right. And I was uh, the director of brain health and together started gathering data 17 years ago. Well, and and the journey has been enlightening. And what right. we have found, this devastating of all diseases. And when I say Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's is a subtype of the umbrella category, dementia. Dementia is cognitive decline to the extent where a person can't do their daily activities, some of their daily activities at this point. But Alzheimer's is the biggest one, 60 to 70% of all dementias. But all the dementias are affected, as we found out. We were the first ones to coin preventive neurology. We were the first ones to say that this disease could be prevented, which was controversial at the time. Mm-hmm. First ones to do the studies. And what we found was absolutely remarkable. Um, and uh, this is where we are now.
0: And, and you know what? it. it i'm i 'm touched to hear you say that it has run in both of your families that 's the case for millions of people worldwide runs in my family my wife 's mother currently battling alzheimer 's disease and it's It just is so gut wrenching to see her slowly um decline and and I know that people who have that experience who can share that know just how horrific it can be to watch this and and feel so helpless so I'm really glad that you're here today because not only are you going to bring a lot of knowledge to the exam roomies, you're also going to bring some hope and some inspiration. Um, So let's go ahead and dive into a little bit of science so we can do just that. The brain is a fascinating thing to me. I don't think that a lot of people understand just how much energy the brain requires every day. So of that standard 2000 calories that we eat every day, how many of those are used up by the brain?
1: <laughs> the numbers are crazy. Um, I think, uh, one of the reasons why we went into this field was of course, you know, the devastation that, that we experienced in our loved ones, but also like you said, is such a fascinating organ. You know, it's, um, it's a very small organ, it's about you know, two to three pounds, and it's about you know, 2% of the body's weight. But at any moment, it can consume 25% of the body's energy. Just imagine, it's a small little organ, but it takes one fourth of your body's energy just to function, just to exist. And so that gives you a window into the different types of processes that are going on at any moment in the brain. And so with that much activity and with that much process and, 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 um, you know, chemical processes going on, everything we do, everything we eat, the way we move, the way we think, the the different kinds of lifestyle choices that we make affects our brain first and then it affects the rest of the body. Um, Of course, it actually happens simultaneously but it kind of gives us a window into how important it is for us to make decisions about the things that we do. And our brain is not just a brain. Yes, it is an incredible organ maintaining the body's function, helping us move. But it's us. It's our personality. It's the choices we make. It's the feelings we have. It's the energy level that we put out. It's the 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 motivation and the decisions that we make about each and every little thing around us. So I think one of the most exciting things that we talk about in our community talks, or even to residents and medical students is that, you know, we all as physicians think of the brain as an organ, but it's just a universe that controls each and everything in the body. Sometimes our cardiologist friends and colleagues don't really like it, but we say, you know, the rest of the body is there to take care of the brain and it is so. Um, so it's, it's, it's <clears throat> phenomenal. And we're very excited to be in a field that is just burgeoning and expanding. And we're learning so much more about it with, um, MRI studies, functional MRI studies, and now with even looking at different types of um, neuroimaging and EEG to find out how our environment affects our brain and how the brain in turn affects our functioning and our decision-making.
0: And let's talk about some of those decisions that we've made. As a society, we have decided to move to a point where we have been nowhere close to before uh, at any point in evolution. Uh, it, very early on in the book, you write essentially that the brain is kind of under constant assault by uh, all of our our media. You know, the iPhones, the tablets, the TV. We're we're kind of zombied right in on these things twenty four seven. What is our current digital lifestyle
2: doing to our brain? I'm assuming it's doing some damage. So that relationship is a complex one, <clears throat> as you would expect. There's a good side and a bad side. Um, and inf- the brain is there to capture information. It's sole function is capturing information and, and, and to do so because it wants to survive, it wants to thrive and it wants to reproduce. Right? So information gathering is important. As we get further down the conversation, we have this acronym neuro and unwind. There's the middle. U is in the middle stress management, unwind or stress management. Part of that stress management is good stress. Part of it is bad stress. Yes. Good stress. The brain wants to be stressed. It wants to be challenged around our purpose. So that information gathering is needed. The more you give it, the better, but in a certain way. So it's not just throwing information at it, giving it in a way that it can capture, and it can capture a lot. This three-pound organ that Aisha was talking about has 87 billion neurons. Actually, nine to ten times more glial cells, which are supportive structures and it, each of those cells of the 87 billion can make a couple of connections or as many as 30,000 connections and it's so dynamic that it's making those connections every second, every minute all your life even if you live to 90 or 100 keeps making those connections and we have control over that those that level of activity needs information and here's the clue one of the biggest factors that determine shrinkage of the brain is when you don't give it information yeah. Because it says, well, it doesn't say, but it, it understands uh, in, intrinsically that if this is a brain that is consuming so much energy, and if you're not using it properly, guess what? It's going to pull back those connections. It actually shrinks, and it actually shrinks much faster as we get older. So yes, the media, the, the uh, electronics, all of that can be chaotic. And that can create a lot of noise and tension and anxiety mm-hmm. and, distraction. And, and distraction and focus problems. But if you do it just right, and that's what we talk about, uh, if you do it in a way where it's getting information in a challenging and purpose-driven way, it's actually the most powerful tool you have to build the brain. Right. When I say build the brain, studies have shown that although if you you know you live the standard American life, the brain starts shrinking. Starting in your 20s, of course, the shrinkage is slow, and it gets a little faster as we get older. But if you do certain things, and we'll get into that, like mental activity, even in your 70s and 80s and 90s, brain actually grows. Specific areas of the brain that you challenge actually grow. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that empowering? So instead of the decline, which is expected for the standard American life or a standard human life, you actually start growing the brain. And there are no gimmicks. There's no biohacking. There are no vitamin concoctions. We'll tell you about what works. And what works is actually incredibly simple, but comprehensive and personalized. And that's what we've been doing in the communities. It's it's amazing.
0: Well, yeah, before we get into the food component, which I know that so many of our viewers and our listeners are are they're just nutrition nuts and they're they're just waiting with <laughs> bated breath to get into that, but I want to talk about some of those exercises, those things that we can be doing as we grow older to make sure that uh we we try to stave off that brain shrinkage as much as possible. What are some of the top tips that you give to people to make sure that their brain stays big and bad and powerful?
1: Yeah, I think I think the brain is different in in many ways from other organs because you have to do multiple things at the same time. So it's a multifaceted approach to brain health that makes the most difference. I mean, yes, of course nutrition is incredibly important, but if you just focus on nutrition and say for example, you're not physically active, you're probably not going to benefit too much, right? And so to to highlight the different lifestyle um, uh, uh, lifestyle factors that have an impact on brain health. We came up with this really cutesy uh, acronym: neural, self-serving, because we're neurologists. So, nutrition and is for nutrition. E is for exercise. U is for unwind or stress management. Uh, R is for restorative sleep. Deep restorative sleep is incredibly important. And O is for optimizing cognitive activity. So, putting nutrition aside, moving around physically being active or exercising every day grows the brain. Um, Increasing your good stress, keeping your mind active with just lifetime of education or learning a new skill or, or keeping your mind active with things that give you joy and purpose is important. Sleep, you know, we've always tried to minimize sleep, but it's so important because it's during the deeper stages of sleep that the brain cleanses itself and it, it encodes memory. So your short term memory becomes mm-hmm. long term memory during your deep stages of sleep. Mm-hmm. And people who don't have good sleeping patterns, they are never able to retain uh, any information. And then optimizing cognitive activity. We just talked about uh, screens and, and electronic gadgets. If they're used in the right way where you are challenged, Every day where you are actually learning something every day, giving your brain information, it actually grows the brain. So um, doing all of that at the same time and in a very personalized way. So say, for example, it's not just playing, you know, Sudoku or puzzles. It could be anything you like. It could be learning a new language. It could be volunteering. It could be, um, you know, writing in a journal your own story or anything that's personal to you.
2: You and I were talking before this about music. uh, That you actually had a gig that where you uh, on the radio, uh, yeah, (laughs) you learned about music. Music is amazing. Learning a musical instrument. Uh, I am, and I don't mean this in a uh, like I'm sad about it, I'm a little sad about it. But so Aisha is an amazing singer, literally a professional singer. Here's another talent that I don't have. So, but I love playing the guitar. So yeah. I've played guitar for 30 years and I, and everybody, lots of people have heard this. I'm, I'm so terrible that I've mm-hmm. barely learned a few songs, but it doesn't <laughs> matter. That act of being involved in a complex activity. And I'll tell you what that complexity means that I love. Um, others who listen to me don't, but I love is profoundly important for the brain because when you're playing a musical instrument, for example, and using electronics. So I have my computer open And there's this app that actually helps me go through the notes and I'm reading the notes while I'm playing the song and it's giving me feedback so that's a good use of the electronics but I'm reading the notes that's your language centers of the brain that's usually for 95 percent of people it's the left parietal part of the brain that's being activated massively you're processing it visually that's your occipital lobe you're processing it intellectually your frontal lobe you're being creative right parietal lobe for all practical purposes you're actually being dexterous by using the fingers. That's your motor cortex, your sensory cortex, your and the cerebellum, which is uh, a coordination. You're emotionally involved. And that's your limbic system. That's the whole brain being challenged and pushed. And when, when I say push, it's like, if you want to grow your biceps or you, your chest, you do the muscle that actually grows up. Well, for the brain, it's actually exponentially more than that. Remember, each neuron can make a couple of connections, or as many as 30,000 connections, that's 15,000 times more. Of course, that's not exactly the numbers, but it's exponentially more.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Now, do you know any human being that grows their muscle 15,000 times, 10,000 times? 5,000, 1,000 times. (laughs) So that's the power you have when you challenge your brain with complex activities that involve more of your brain, such as dancing, learning how to dance, That's another problem I have (laughs) Uh, playing the guitar, um, leading a group, playing cards with friends, especially challenging card games, uh, doing, you know, um, game nights. These are challenging activities that are emotionally fun, involved, it's around your purpose and involves the entire brain. And we know for a fact from data that people that challenge their brain, there are many really, really interesting studies. One of them is the nun study and, and many others. Actually, that protected them even in lieu of vascular disease, meaning that even if they had vascular disease in the brain, but that connectivity from being challenged mentally protected them against dementia, against stroke and all of these things. That's that's incredible hope and power that we have. So when you're talking about challenging card games, I'm
0: assuming you're not necessarily talking about poker, maybe something a little bit more memory driven, like concentration we used to play as a kid, something like that.
2: Uh, I I, even poker though. Oh, So, so poker, so we have multiple domains of cognition. You have attention, you have memory, short term and long term, you have executive function, which means how the brain processes, you have, um, uh, you know, visuospatial. visual spatial, you have language. So when you play poker, of course, it's visual spatial a little bit. And it's emotional, but definitely executive function. Poker is a Game of strategy for the most part. It's you know there are many more complex games of a strategy, but it's definitely a game of strategy. And then the social interaction is also human frontal lobe activity. So you see something as simple as poker, of course, have done in a way that's challenging. If, hopefully, if you're winning, because and and that actually also affects the brain, but a particular part more than others. Um, and and if you play a game of strategy where you have to memorize and then recall, of course that involves more of memory than other areas. So I tell people, <clears throat> it's great to have video games and these kind of games that challenge the brain, but nothing replaces real life activities that are challenging and are around your purpose. I mean, uh, Candy Crush can only take you so long and so much. <laughs> how many you know, how, uh, those can? But <clears throat> at any age. Oh, senior classes! I mean, all my patients.
1: Yeah.
2: <clears throat> we both have patients. Almost what? Sixty percent of them. We we actually brought this idea, and all of a sudden, it was a eureka moment. So, oh, really? I can do it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. They started taking classes around what they used to, what they would have wanted to have taken.
1: Yeah. Most of them do art classes. Art classes. Or they yes. go and take a history lesson class. Uh, and you know, with everything being available online nowadays, it's so easy and it it's so. It's so much fun.
2: In our own studies, we we promote that idea to take classes. Yeah,
0: And a quick bit of housekeeping before we get over to the nutritional aspect of things. I want to go back to talk about exercise. A lot of people, they hear that word, they immediately think about, oh, I need to get a gym membership. I need to go run on the treadmill for 45 minutes, five days a week, that's my exercise. But in your studies, have you found that you can get equal benefit from just going for a walk, lacing up the sneakers and literally just going for a walk?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's the idea of just being physically active and making physical activity a natural part of your day. So, you know, natural movement. Um, there was one study that showed that just a brisk walk can reduce the risk of developing Alzheimer's disease by 43%. Just a brisk walk. And that's just exercise. So they kind of, you know, they took into account diet and stress and sleep and genetics, everything else. Just a brisk walk can do that. There's no medicine that does that. Um, so I agree with you. I, right? you know, making sure that. Uh, movement is a part and parcel of your life makes a huge difference and you know we're not big fans of gyms we always say because we work in the communities a lot and it's a part of our healthy minds initiative we say bring exercise into your environment make exercise a part of your day so this desk that we're sitting on it actually can become a standing desk we have a small little treadmill right there next to us we have weights under the table we have resistance bands uh, on the door right in front of me so just kind of oh by the way our living room now during the pandemic is our dojang so you know we do uh, martial arts in our living room so i know that it's you know that's a little extreme but making it a part of your everyday activity and bringing it into your environment is something that people can do they can keep up with and that makes a difference rather than you know just jumping on a 40 uh, on the treadmill for 45 minutes and not really being active for the rest of the day
0: even even still though do you does a person get greater benefit if they do something that is a little bit more cardiovascularly challenging such as running uphill versus walking downhill
2: yeah so there are three so <clears throat> every time we talk about uh, the the science we say to the best of our knowledge today <clears throat> i think it's our favorite it's uh, it's the term that that's extremely important for scientists to to come to grips with <clears throat> Data changes. We must be open to change. Uh, we cannot make dogma out of science. Uh, so, um, and when it comes to nutrition, to when it comes to exercise, to everything else as well. To the best of our knowledge today, at this point, and uh, there are three exercises that seem to be of greatest benefit for the brain. One is aerobic exercise. Definitely, the more aerobic exercise, the better. Uh, one recent study showed that even 75 minutes of aerobic exercise where you got tired. Uh, and I'll explain what that means. A lot of times they say, you know, take your pulse, subtract your age. And you know, if it's got to be above 80% of your maximum, no, no. If you're short of breath during that majority of that exercise, that's good enough. You don't have to do all of that gymnastics. Sometimes the watches now do it for you, but if you don't have it, but you got to get tired. So Mm -hmm. as little as 75 minutes, but the more, the better there is an upper limit. The upper limit is not a general upper limit. Depends on you. Depends on your comorbidities. Depends on your state and your you know how uh, conditioned you are. But uh, you know, seventy five minutes to one hundred and fifty minutes, or even more, is great per week. Uh, Per week. Per week. Yes. Um, That's the The (laughs) aerobic part. The other part that's surprising was that when we looked at weight training, all weight training is great, but especially legs. Yeah. Legs are extremely important. As we get older, leg strength is probably the most important exercise you can do because one of the main factors that gets people who are above age 75 or, or even older to the emergency room is falls. And one of the main things that abates that or stops that or reduces that risk is leg strength for multiple reasons. But even beyond the fall risk, we know that the biggest pump in your body is not your heart. It's your legs. That What pumps the blood back up through the veins isn't because the veins don't have the musculature, it's the legs. The biggest organ of metabolism in your body are the legs. And the thing that actually increases BDNF or brain-derived neurotrophic factor and other hormones for benefit of the brain are the legs. So if you're going to do any strengthening exercises, you should do a lot of them, but especially the legs. And the third factor is move throughout the day. Aisha kind of alluded to that. Create And moving throughout the day shouldn't be contrived. If you change your living environment where you're actually watching TV while standing, um, uh, and here's one that's very unpopular when we've said it before, but I'm going to say it anyway. Eating while standing around the table, all of us in the family, we have a 13-year-old daughter and a fi- uh, 15-year-old son. Um, we exercise, we stand we, while we watch TV or, or some program there, we stand so make your environment conducive for that kind of behavior. If you have to contrive and and, sh- and and contort to make a behavior happen, it will happen for a while, but it will just fade back to your baseline again. That's why new year resolutions fail. They're over the top and out of the normal. You should be systematically increasing toward a goal that is lived experience. Mm-hmm. And it's only then that this becomes habit and it's only then that it becomes lifestyle. It's only then that it becomes a culture in your family. And that's where you want to be, a culture of healthy living in your family. All right. Now let's,
0: let's get to uh, the plant-based meat and potatoes here on the exam room. Everybody <laughs> loves to talk about nutrition here on the show. And there was something very early on in the book that you wrote, uh, the 30-day uh, Alzheimer's solution. It really stood out to me. And what you said essentially was that fast food puts the brain through trauma. So can you talk to us a little bit about what you meant by that? That's a pretty significant statement.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, So when we consume or when someone consumes fast food, it contains a lot of um, items that are essentially not welcome in our body. Um, fast foods usually have a ton of salt, a lot of processed sugar, a lot of saturated fats for the most part. And these three things, there's, there are others as well, but these three, three things that stand out in processed foods, they cause damage to our body, it causes damage to the inner linings of the arteries, it actually is small enough that it just seeps through the arterial wall. So it actually gets in touch with the neurons and the brain cells right away. And it is so much energy, there's so much food that is seeping out into the cellular process that the cells go into a frenzy. They're not used to having so much salt and sugar and saturated fats, which is abnormal. We don't need saturated fats. So what the brain does, I'll just stick to the brain instead of the rest of the body, but what the brain does is it starts getting rid of it. So instead of tending to its normal processes and normal function, uh, it actually focuses on damage control. So we go from a thrive mode to a damage control Mm -hmm. mode. And... That's basically it. And after a while, if our body is exposed to processed foods over and over and over again, the brain kind of gives up your cells kind of give up. And that's when damage starts. Um, And that's very important fact, because we may not be able to experience that damage early on, or especially, you know, when children or teenagers eat a ton of processed foods, they don't feel that bad, it actually feels good, because they're getting a ton of sugar, and all that dopamine is activated. But what is not seen is that we're actually doing a lot of damage in the process. And that's when Um, the the cells uh, fail to communicate better with each other. The cells fail to create more connections. The concept of neuroplasticity refers to the building of these connections between brain cells that Dean was talking about earlier. And that translates into better thinking process, better focus and attention, better memory. Um, And all that process fails when we consume uh, processed foods.
2: We say that sorry, we say that every meal, I mean, this is not an exaggeration, because the brain is so active and so uh, responsive to its environment, especially its immediate environment, every meal you eat can make the brain or break the brain. I mean, yeah. those are the two ends of the spectrum of the fastest growing organ, the fastest energy required organ. Every meal, um, it's, it's overwhelmed. We did a study. Uh, a nationwide study, one of the largest on, uh, uh, and looked at insulin resistance, right. not even diabetes, pre-diabetics. We excluded the diabetics, large study, 33,000 people. And we saw that even people who had pre-diabetes that was uncontrolled had diminished cognitive state yeah. and were at greater risk of dementia. So, and, 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 adjusting to those factors, we call four elements, inflammation, oxidation, glucose or energy dysregulation, and lipid or fat dysregulation. They're not, they're all interconnected, but a lot of times you come to the disease, Alzheimer's and dementia and stroke, from one of those paths, be it because of insulin resistance or diabetes uncontrolled or lipid dysregulation or inflammation, like as in people who get trauma to the brain multiple times. So what affects it on a daily basis, three to four to five times a day, food. The food that you can give to heal it, or the food that repetitively traumatizes it by increasing the insulin resistance and and uh, sugar spikes and 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 uh, vast the vessels. We have four hundred miles of vasculature in the brain, right? And every time you have fatty food, you know, laden with uh, 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 trans or uh, uh, saturated Sat- fats, yeah, you damage those small microscopic vessels, which then kill the neurons downstream. That's and, how important it
1: is. And, you know, Chuck, one of the things that it, that we always come across in conversations with our patients or research participants or anyone in the community is, um, you know, people who are, say, in their 20s and 30s and 40s, and they say, well, you know, I'm okay. You know, once in a while it doesn't hurt to eat. The thing is, the diseases that we talk about, Alzheimer's, dementia, and stroke, they're not, they don't happen right away the disease process actually starts a good 10 to 20 years earlier. And if people could just see that it's a spectrum rather than just an event that happens, they would take better care of themselves. They would make better decisions when it comes to food. You do cumulative damage over and over and over again over years until you get to that point where you're diagnosed with a stroke or Alzheimer's or dementia or Parkinson's disease.
0: And to that end, this is one of the questions I've been really dying to ask you is how much of the damage that we have done over the course of our life can we undo as we get older now? And say somebody is learning this for the very first time and they're like, oh my gosh, I gotta make some big changes. Right? How much of what has already been done can be
2: undone by implementing these healthy changes? Yeah. Oh, tremendous amount, yeah. I mean, so the brain we have is redundant. It's way more than we the brain we need. These 87 billion neurons, one quadrillion connections. Somebody did the math, one times 10 to the 50th processing power. That's more powerful than any supercomputer. And we're using it to watch, you know, what uh, the, the uh, uh, I can't even remember one of the, uh, the, shows? the shows, you know, the Housewives <laughs> of Atlanta or something like that. No, no, nothing against the Housewives of Atlanta, but... Or, or LA or, or Orange County, for that matter, where we are. Um, so no, this brain has incredible power. So at any age, if you take on the right steps, and, and, and here's the thing, we don't believe in the word motivation. So don't pick up your, pick yourself up by the bootstrap and just change your life. No, There's a systematic behavioral approach to change, and that's what we work on in the communities. And 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 if you do it that way and you do it comprehensively with nutrition and everything in mind, then at any age you can completely change the trajectory. Completely. So and 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 even do better than you would have expected otherwise, because now you're actually using the brain in a much more efficient way than the average human being has used it for millennia. I mean, how many people in history have been have eaten I'm gonna give it give it away now. A whole food, plant based diet that's you know thoughtful and and and, and comprehensive, not just potatoes and lots of other vegetables. That takes it. How many people in the world have done that mindfully uh, prior to like let's say 1950s? How many people do that and then also have exercised 150 minutes a day and do leg exercises? How many people do those two things and also have restorative sleep? Not just knocked out with met pills, but restorative sleep. I say sleep spa. People spend money on spas. Your bedroom should be your ultimate spa. And then how many people do those three things and then do stress management? And then the last one, which is optimizing mental activity. Challenging your brain a couple of hours a day. Really challenging. Not something where it starts challenging at the beginning, then becomes repetitive. Really challenging around your joy, your purpose. If you do all of five of those. It's almost guaranteed that at any age you'll significantly improve your brain. And we've done it over and over again over the last 15 years uh, in our populations and our patients in Loma Linda.
0: And is that to say that if somebody has been diagnosed, the early stage uh, Alzheimer's here, that they can at least slow the progression? We don't know at this point of a way to reverse that disease, to the best of my knowledge, unfortunately. But with this, if somebody unfortunately does have that diagnosis, they can at least slow its progression, correct?
1: Yes. Thank you for bringing that up, Chuck. You're absolutely right. One thing that we get a little irked about is people making grand statements saying that Alzheimer's Re- Alzheimer's disease is reversible. And it's not. Unfortunately, we don't have evidence that it is reversible. However, if it's in the pre Alzheimer's states where it's it's ter- the term that we use for the pre Alzheimer's state is mild cognitive impairment, which is, you know, when people have memory issues, but they're their activities are not affected. They're still able to drive. They're still able to do their finances. They're still able to take care of their you know, activities around the house. That's mild cognitive impairment. And there's a very specific way of diagnosing that. We know that you can reverse mild cognitive impairment. We know that diet and exercise and this lifestyle that we've put, you know, we, we talk about does reverse mild cognitive impairment. And I think that's quite empowering. Um, when it comes to the mild phases of alzheimer's disease or dementia it slows down the progression um, you can definitely slow it down to the point of even halting it uh, at times um, but when it when it is in its more advanced stages unfortunately there's no way we can reverse the symptoms and i think it's important to point that out because it's such a huge disrespect to a lot of our patients and Wonderful human beings who are suffering from this this terrible disease. but you know given <clears throat> given that we still do have the tools that can slow down the progression, improve quality of life, I think that's pretty empowering. Uh,
2: there's this drive to uh, it, there's it's a money making endeavor. People who have never worked in dementia and all of a sudden coming up with uh, protocols and things of that nature and and making bombastic statements. And, and that's that's not fair to patients because it's uh, working around their hopes. And there's always this language that, oh, but we're giving them hope. Nope, you're not. Let's not be uh, – let's be honest. I am very – we are very protective of our patients. We want to make sure that the right amount of – right information goes out there. Um, and uh, that's why it's critical to make sure that people know what can be done. And and more importantly, that it is, its it is – if we just focus on cognitive decline and a disease where 6 million individuals in the United States and 35 million people worldwide are actually suffering from Alzheimer's right now every 64 seconds somebody's being diagnosed with Alzheimer's and that's actually an understatement because in a lot of communities it's never being diagnosed they're just the family just keeps the person in their home and they say it's part of aging but so it's, it's it's the fastest growing epidemic outside of the Uh, COVID thing. And it's going to by itself collapse the healthcare system, right? So we recognize the importance of it. We recognize that we should say the things that can truly affect it. We are actually to the stage where we know lifestyle work, we've done it. And we've moved on to the next stage, which is now translating it not in a clinical trial, you know, 50 100 200 people somewhere, but in the communities. In a way that communities can truly bring it into their homes and their lives through our Healthy Minds initiative, we actually pay for, you know, involving communities and getting education into the communities. And that's the true way to to halt or significantly curtail this most devastating of all diseases, which is Alzheimer's.
0: And obviously a big part, I think, uh, in my opinion, of bringing this to the community would be increasing the knowledge education when it comes to what it is that we are eating. Um, And that goes right to the heart of the standard American diet. Now we were talking about fast food a little while ago, but I I mean, the standard American diet, guys, it just has some weird things on there. And just this morning, I came across an advertisement from Kraft who is putting out pink-colored macaroni and cheese for <laughs> Valentine's Day that has been flavored uh, with, with sugar? And, yeah. and so I'm thinking like, well, we've talked about the risks of macaroni and cheese from the Blue Box here on the show before, but now you're you're adding food coloring and sugar on top of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, what is your opinion on this? How much damage is going to be done by this blue box that is supposedly it's fun? So
2: sad. I it's think the so next, sad. yeah, the next it's tape is so sad. probably add some cyanide, and then you have it. You just knock seriously, the people out. Yeah. it sounds
1: like we're going that way. I mean, you know, Chuck, you, you've talked about this many times, and I know that you're a champion about this kind of, uh, in you know, misinformation. Uh, it's it's very sad, and and I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done and we've had, you know, amazing um, talking heads in the space, trying to correct this misinformation. And we also have people who are self-proclaimed health leaders on social media who are just kind of dispersing this wrong information. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, I am thrilled that a lot of amazing scientists and doctors who really care um, have come out and uh, have put themselves uh, on social media. And because I think this is the, the true form of public health, there was a time when, you know, health, um, health leaders and doctors would go to different conferences, and they'd be talking about the science of the day and about their research, but that never really got out. That was shared with people. It just kind of stayed in PDFs and in in, uh, in, in specific protocols and in conferences. But people are sharing their information. And I think um, I'm also happy about individuals who are champions of health like yourself, like so many other people who are coming out and putting themselves Um, making these kind of conversations available to kind of tell people, like, listen, this doesn't really make any sense. And you can't wait until something happens to you. So you go to the doctors and you go to the hospitals to seek help. You can't prevent this from happening. And that's what we've been doing in our Healthy Minds Initiative. You, You can't just wait for people to experience disease and change their lifestyle. We have to go out into the community and we have to empower people and tell them, like, You really don't have to do a lot to live a healthy, vibrant life. You can actually change it with simple steps of changing your nutrition. So yes, it is sad, but I'm also, uh, I'm happy that this is a great opportunity for all of us to step in and correct all that misinformation.
0: And I want to wrap things up here. You guys have been so generous with your time. Um, I want to leave some people with some specific ideas about food. Like, let's just name drop and get some specifics in there. One of my favorite parts of the book, and I have it in front of me here, is uh, this this page. It must have about like 50 or 60 different foods listed on here. Uh, <laughs> the NeuroPlan Nutrition Spectrum. And it ranges from beneficial in the green to neutral foods and then harmful foods. So let's talk about some of the foods that are, first of all, on the extreme side of harmful. What are the foods that you tell your patients specifically? Like, look, if you're going to take anything out of your diet, these are the
2: foods to avoid. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> just as a scientist, this the spectrum was the most difficult thing for us to do because we don't believe in absolutes. And whenever you put a spectrum on paper, it becomes an absolute. And on top of that, it assumes in the audience's eye that the data is perfect. So take that spectrum with a grain of salt, but it's a pretty good representation of truth. And, and it it, you know, the foods can move up and down the spectrum, but that beautiful spectrum is actually a good representation. So having said that, it is important to stay on the green side, literally and figuratively, yes, as, on as, as you, you get side, the book. Yes. In the book, we have 75. Aisha is also a culinary artist. when she was in Columbia University doing her fellowship in stroke, she also at nights would take culinary classes and cooking classes because if all we did was just give statins, which are important, we're not against medicine, medication, medication, yeah. but we have to move more and more towards a lifestyle when it's necessary. Uh, we have to give them good foods that are tasty. And in that spectrum, there are several foods that are standing out. And now we're not minimalist, but again, the greens, the beans, the lentils, the nuts in small amounts, and we've quantified that. Uh God. Yeah. And, and and of course Aisha has done uh, all the recipes
1: so, so the whole foods the unprocessed yes. plant-based foods are extremely good um, the things that you were asking on the on the harmful side if, if we had to like pick things to tell people like listen just try to stay away from mm-hmm. this I would I would actually pick an entire category which is processed foods because when you say processed foods you get rid of several things you get rid of salt you get rid of added processed sugar you get rid of saturated fat, you get rid of trans fatty acids, and you get rid of all the preservatives and the chemicals that can keep, you know, hoes and cakes stable on the shelf for months and months. So you get rid of all of that category. So people can get rid of processed foods. I think that's enormous. And that leaves a lot of unprocessed plant based foods, like Dean was saying, greens, beans, vegetables, fruits. Nuts and seeds like flax seeds and chia seeds. And if people eat a wholesome combination of these amazing unprocessed plant-based foods, they get all their vitamins, they get all their nutrients, they get all the carbohydrates, proteins, and good fats for for the brain to thrive and not suffer and not go through the pathogenesis and pathologies of diseases like Alzheimer's, stroke, dementia, et cetera.
0: Uh, you, yeah. I mean, you just mentioned carbs, and I feel like that's a whole other show that we could spend another oh, 45 minutes talking yes. about. Oh yes. my gosh, we didn't even get to the keto diet. Oh my gosh. Um, oh, we need
1: to do a show just on ketogenic diet and all the misinformation associated with it.
0: Oh, do you want it? I am so down
2: for that. Down. I am 1000%
0: down Let's for that. Let's do it, Chuck. We Let's just did it.
2: two reviews, comprehensive reviews that were just submitted. One was on omega-3 and the developing brain, right? and it's the most comprehensive paper uh, done in, in the last 15, 20 years. And then another one on omega-3 and the aging brain. We're right now in the middle of another comprehensive review on fat and the brain. Yeah. So we can now talk about those three uh, big questions that everybody has, which we've done the research on um, uh, maybe in the next talk.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We will coordinate that. And I also would like to extend an invitation to you both to come on the exam room live and actually get the opportunity to take live questions from our viewers and our listeners who I think are are hearing this right now and probably taking notes and like, man, I wish I could ask them that. So is that something that you guys might be interested in doing as well? Would love to.
1: to. Absolutely. You
0: guys are the best. So here's what we're going to do. You bring the knowledge, I'll bring the ACDC and we're going to bring, uh, we're, we're going to do like just the most incredible show ever.
1: I might not want to leave. That would yes. be just perfection.
0: Have it. All right, clear your calendar. We'll make a day of it. How about that? Wonderful. I love wonderful. it. <laughs> Let's thank do you. it, Chuck. Thank you. Oh, thank you guys so very much. This is Team Shurzai, Doctors Dean and Aisha Shurzai. And the book is available for pre-order right now. I highly recommend it. Team Shurzai, thank you so very much for your time.
1: Thank you so thank much, Thank you. Abby. In
0: the episode notes, you will find a link to purchase a copy of the Sure book, The 30 Day Alzheimer's Solution. And if you look at the cover of the book, you're gonna see this cake. And oh man, if that is the ticket to a healthy brain, then I wanna be freaking Einstein. It looks absolutely scrumptious. You can sign me up for that again and again and again. I'll tell you, the Surezais are just incredible people. Something else cool about them is that their mission is truly a family affair. If you've ever seen them speak at a veg fest, there's a good chance that their children were also there, speaking about their own experiences and how they're getting a healthy start on life. Those kids have been healthy from the word go and are already helping others along the way they're not waiting to follow in their parents footsteps and that is fantastic but i will tell you that for so many of us alzheimer's is deeply personal it is heart-wrenching to watch our loved ones deteriorate right in front of our eyes and that helpless feeling that comes with that And that is why it is so important that we realize that the time to act is now, because there is no cure. And we need to do everything in our power to keep our brain healthy and functioning at a high level. The number of Americans right now living with Alzheimer's is five million. But by the year 2050, that number is expected to triple and according to the alzheimer's association half of all physicians in the u.s say that the medical profession cannot meet that immense burden so indeed it is up to us and the time to act is now and if you are ready to act We have a great section on Alzheimer's up on pcrm.org. Right there on that page, you will find five steps that you can take to lower your risk. And at the bottom of that page, you can watch Dr. Neil Barnard's TED Talk about power foods for the brain. We've included a link to that in the episode notes. Also, if you are interested in working with one of our dietitians or doctors at the Barnard Medical Center to lower your risk, not just of Alzheimer's, but so many other preventable chronic diseases that claim millions of lives every year, you can do that right now. Take charge of your health by scheduling an appointment. Pick up the phone, call 202-527-7500 or visit barnardmedical.org. Telemedicine visits are now available for more than a quarter of the country. So if you want the opportunity to go over your diet and review your lifestyle and get the help that you need to take your health to the next level, call 202-527-7500 or visit barnardmedical.org for a full list of states where services are available and insurance is accepted. And lastly today, a favor to ask. If you have not already done so, please go ahead and subscribe to The Exam Room by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever shows are available. And when you subscribe, please also leave a five-star rating. And we don't ask that simply to boost our numbers and to brag. We do that because every new subscription and five-star rating helps to get this information to those who need it the most. And when you hear numbers like the rates of Alzheimer's are expected to triple in the coming decades, there are a lot of people who could use this information. So please go ahead and subscribe and leave that five-star rating and help make the world a healthier place. And that's going to do it for us today. I want to say thank you one more time to Drs. Dean and Aisha Shurzai for joining us. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, stay safe, take a stand, and keep it plant-based.